Let us pray. Lord, as we prepare ourselves now to read your holy word, we ask that you prepare our hearts, that you open the eyes and the ears of our hearts, that we perceive what it is that you have to say to us today, and that we receive the movement and the power of your spirit as you speak to us. Lord, we pray that you bless the reading of this word and bless the hearing of it, so that they will be more than just words. They will be your holy word. And that you will somehow use it to transform us today, to move us closer to you, closer to the cross, and closer to the resurrection, for it's in you that we all find life. Help us to rejoice in that life and in that light this morning as we are gathered here. Bless this time that we have together and in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 1 through 12. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hekelah? which is on the east of Jeshimon. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment, while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul. And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it. Nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What do cookies, steak, and newborn babies have in common? You have to be patient. It takes them all a little while before they're ready to come out. 
I can't tell you how many times Claire has baked cookies and the smell, the aroma of it is just intoxicating. And I smell it and I'm just ready to eat them. And I go to the oven and I turn on the light and I look inside and although the smell is wonderful, when I look in the oven, there's still just blobs of goo. And there's many times where I've just wanted to take that out and just eat all that goo up. But they're not going to be as good. When they're fully baked, they're ready to come out. And that's even more true if you're preparing a steak. Especially if you've had it in the freezer. Because you have to take it out. You have to let it thaw. Then you have to soak it. You've got to prepare your marinade. You've got to soak it in there for hours. And then you cook it. And you want to cook it slow because the slower you cook it, the better it's going to be, right? It takes patience to get it right. And then, of course, that's true with babies. A woman carries a baby in her womb for nine months. And during that time, the heart is forming, the lungs are forming, the hands, the feet, the eyes, all the vital organs. And it takes that full period for the baby to to be considered full term and fully healthy. And you certainly don't want to rush that. Patience pays off. Patience is a virtue. I'm sure you've heard that. But how hard is it to be patient when your life is at stake? It can be very difficult. The more the urgency, the less we tend to be patient. In this situation that we just read here, David spared Saul out of patience, even though David's life was at stake. Now, just to frame this for you so you understand fully the context of what happened here, Remember last week we talked about Saul decided he was angry against David. He wanted to kill David. And Saul's son helped David go into hiding. This is years later. David has been hiding from Saul for years. And some of his close family has joined him. Some of his men, some of his, his, his little army that he's gathered together. They are, they are in hiding with him. But David has been a refugee now for years. And his life has been at stake that whole time. And this isn't just the first time that David has had the opportunity to kill Saul. In fact, this is the 26th chapter of 1 Samuel. If you go back a couple of chapters, you see that there was another occasion where David was in a cave, hiding in a cave. And Saul came in, of all things, to, I guess we'll just say, relieve himself. And as he did, David crept up behind him. And cut a piece of his robe. He could have killed Saul there when he was the most vulnerable. But he didn't. Later he showed that to Saul and said, I could have taken you out. I could have killed you last night when you wandered into my cave. And Saul, seeing this, was moved and said, you had mercy on me. I'll have mercy on you. And he called off the dogs. But only for a little while. Because his anger and his jealousy and his fear bubbled up once again. And so now Saul is pursuing David once again. Now, just before this, David had an encounter with a man named Nabal. David was uh, walking the countryside and he came up on this, this man who was very wealthy, had lots of land, had lots of livestock, lots of food. And David sent gifts ahead of him and said, please be gracious. Please provide for me and my men. Give us a place to hide. And Nabal wouldn't do it. Nabal sent back insults. And David's anger was so much so that he told his men, draw your swords, we're going to kill this fellow. 
And Nabal's wife came out, Abigail, and said, please don't do that. Here's some bread, here's some things. And she took care of them. And David said, thank you for keeping me from doing something I shouldn't have done. And so David received the gifts from Abigail. And then God struck Nabal dead within the next ten days. So David has seen here that, that when he has mercy, God takes care of the rest. And so now David is hiding from Saul once again. Saul is pursuing him. And this opportunity presents itself to do away with Saul once and for all. And if it ever seemed like God was presenting the opportunity, this was it. A deep sleep fell on Saul and all his armies. I mean, they were knocked out cold. Saul had a spear right by his head that they could have just picked up and taken care of. David could have wiped out Saul like that and then taken the throne for himself. But David said, no, I can't. He manages to turn over the situation to God. And in doing so, David showed his wisdom. We talk about David's son Solomon as being one of the wisest men to ever live. Well, this was David's moment of wisdom right here. Because David said, that person who is trying to kill me, who has offended me, who is coming after me for no reason at all, that person was placed in their position of power by God. And who am I to oppose God's will? Now, I want us to pause just for a moment and reflect on that. Because we have a tendency today, whenever someone is in power and authority that we don't agree with, we can't stand it. We want to impeach them. We want to disrupt them. We want to resist them. We want to protest. And this goes on both sides, Republicans and Democrats. Both, both, all of us are guilty of, of saying that person is in power and I don't like it and I'm, I'm refusing to accept it. David in this moment said, Saul has become wicked. His heart has turned against God. And he is pursuing me. But even still, he is God's appointed person for right now. And I'm not going to oppose that. David learned to submit to God. Today, we have trouble understanding exactly what submission is. I think so many people in our culture maybe think of submission as a sign of weakness. That we've allowed ourselves to become doormats, to be run over. That's not what submission means. Submission means allowing our faith in God to be greater than our emotions. It's allowing our faith and our trust in God to be greater than our emotions. Whenever the Bible talks about submission, whether it's submitting to authorities, whether it's submission within the family, or whether it's submitting to God, it's not talking about, okay, make yourself a doormat for other humans to trample on. It's always an act of faith. It's always an act of trust that God is going to provide for you and that if you let him handle the situation, it's going to turn out okay. As long as your faith is greater than your impulses and your emotions. Now this submission does not mean that we have to be happy about it. David was not happy that that Saul was pursuing him. In fact, there are several psalms written during this era. By David, where he is saying, God, these people are chasing me. People are, I have enemies that are hunting me. Why? What did I do to deserve this? Lord, save me. He wrote many of these as he was a refugee. 
David had been wronged. There's no way around that. When we are wronged, we can't remain silent. We can't just say that we're not bothered by it. What we can do is turn it over to God in all honesty. Suppression of our feelings can lead to blow-ups. Do, do any of y'all know, maybe some of you are this way. Uh, I certainly know people this way. They, they, they squash all their feelings. They'll never say anything back. They suppress all their feelings, and then one day, it just blows up, and they let it all loose at one time. That's not healthy. To hide how you feel and to suppress it all until it all comes out at once, that's not healthy. That's why schools have counselors in place for students to talk to when they're being bullied, when they're being abused, when things aren't going well, either in the classroom or or at the home. You have counselors that you can go and talk to and let it out because it's not good for a child or for anyone to keep things bottled up. We see this not just in schools. You start to see this more and more in, in other professions. Counselors provided, chaplains provided, uh, uh, psychologists provided so that people can go and express their concerns and get it off their chest so that they're not bottling it up. But there is no better counselor. There is no better listener than God. You see, the problem is with us, when we listen to people's problems, too often we try to go ahead and fix them. That's a tendency of human nature. We hear a problem, we want to fix it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that about their their spouses. Well, I'm trying to tell him what's wrong and all he wants to do is fix my problem. He won't even listen to me. Sometimes they just want to be heard. I think we all know people like that. That you go and you tell them, you just try to get something off their chest and they start telling you what you need to be doing. And that's not what you want to hear in that moment. God is an excellent listener. As we pray, he hears us vent. He hears us pour everything out. He lets us do it completely. But he does offer us answers. He offers us answers after we've entered conversation with him. See, as we go through prayer, times of prayer, God begins to tune our hearts to hear him. You can't hear and understand what God is trying to say to you if you never speak to him. I hear people say that. Well, I I don't ever hear God talk to me. I don't ever see God working. I don't ever see God moving in my life. Well, it might be because you're not praying. Because when we pray, even if it starts off as, as a selfish way, even if we're just unloading to God, if after we're done with that, if we just stop and we pause and we listen, God begins to open our hearts. He begins to tune our hearts to what he is saying. And he may reveal it in any number of ways. But he does reveal it. I said David wrote several psalms while he was a refugee. One of those is Psalm 57. Now, if you have your Bible already out, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 57 and read along with me, because I want to look at that. If not, you can, you can just listen. That will be fine, too. But Psalm 57, I'm not sure how it, how it looks in your Bible, but in mine, right at the top, It says, a a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So we know this psalm was written by David as he was running from Saul. And it says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. 
In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. Selah. I want to pause right there because that word Selah means just that. Pause. Reflect on this. Meditate on this. And so this is a prayer of David where he's telling God, God, everything's wrong. People are chasing me. People are running after me. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. And he pauses. That means he reflects. And then how does he conclude his prayer? After that, after that pause, after that reflection, David continues. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. It's quite a big difference. A change of heart suddenly, right? Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. So David is pouring out his heart to God. He's not hiding anything. He's not denying that he has been oppressed, that he has been wrong. He's not trying to say, well, it doesn't really bother me that much. He's, he's crying out to God, God, this is wrong. People have set a snare for me. They've set a net for my steps. And then in the midst of that confession, in the midst of that crying out, all of a sudden, there's reflection. And I would love to know what God spoke to David in that moment. When he paused after that confession and his heart completely changed and the tune of the song changes, I would love to know what God reminded David of. Maybe he said, David, remember that bear that tried to attack you when you were watching those sheep? I delivered you from that. Remember the lion? I delivered you from the lion. Remember how all of your brothers were so much older and stronger than you and better looking than you? And, 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 and Samuel came and I told Samuel to anoint you as the next king of Israel. I chosen you. Remember when you went up against Goliath as a boy and you defeated him. God reminded David in that pause, in that reflection, I have taken care of you and I will continue to do so. And so David, after this meditation, after this reflection, he comes back and he's able to say, praise God. Praise God. If we are honest with God about how we feel, God will be honest with us right back. And oftentimes that honesty comes with an assurance. Remember, I've always taken care of you. In the, in the month of November, as we approach Thanksgiving, we think of the things that we are grateful for. And it's sad that so often we take things for granted. We don't really appreciate things until we pause and actually think about how we appreciate them. Right? That's why we have Veterans Day. So we can pause and say, you know what? We really appreciate the sacrifices that you have made. And God is saying, pause. 
Think about how I've taken care of you. I can almost hear Jesus saying, God speaking through him, consider the lilies, how they are clothed. Consider the birds, how they are fed. I will always take care of you. I will seek vengeance on your behalf. Don't try to claim it for your own. We've heard the saying before, let go and let God. It's an easy thing to say. It's a very hard thing to do. It's especially hard whenever we're put to the test. Let go and let God is not an excuse for laziness. It's not a way of saying, you know what, I don't have to do anything. God will take care of all of it for me. No, let go and let God is an act of deliberate surrender. And surrender requires sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, the first time sacrifice is mentioned is when, uh, is when Abel sacrifice, sacrifices his lamb. And the blood was shed. And all throughout the Old Testament, as that's something a sacrifice, there's always the shedding of blood. And when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, there was the shedding of blood. They believed back then that, that the blood was the life source. That that's where your life came from. That, that part of your, your, your soul or your spirit was in the blood. And so the shedding of it was a pouring out of who you were. We now know that DNA is in our blood. And so that's, that's not far off, is it? The DNA that makes us who we are, that's encoded in our blood. And so when we talk about sacrifice, we're talking about a, a pouring out of ourself, of who we are. And so if we're going to surrender to God, if we're going to submit to his will, it means a deliberate pouring out of ourself. It means I am laying myself completely aside so that God can reign supreme in this situation. Just to piggyback off last week for a second. I said that Saul allowed his anger and his fear and his jealousy control him. And in doing so, he ended up opposing God's will without even realizing it. David here is the clear opposite. David had every right to be angry, every right to be fearful. But he wasn't going to let those things control him. And since he surrendered those emotions to God, he was able to allow God's will to be done. How is it with us? How honest are we with God concerning our emotions? When we are wronged or when we are hurt or when we are offended, do we lash out and demand justice and immediate vengeance? Do we suppress it and pretend that everything's okay and just keep it bottled up? Well, that's not healthy either. In order for us to say, Vengeance is the Lord's. We have to truly surrender our concerns to him. The Lord is merciful, but the Lord is just. Many times mercy will be required on our part so that justice may be executed in his time and in his way. Selah. Pause. Reflect on this. Has God been good to you? Has he not taken care of you? Allow him to continue to take care of you, to guard you, to protect you, to fight for you. Allow him to do this by surrendering, submitting to him in perfect trust. For this is the type of faith that we should all strive for. Let us pray. Lord, it is so hard for us to lay aside our emotions, our concerns, our fears, our anger.
It's easy for us to want to take matters into our own hands, to demand justice and vengeance. So, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom, for your discernment. But, Lord, we ask that your spirit will move us to a place of confession, honesty with you, and a place of surrender. Allow us, Lord, to lay ourselves aside, to lay our lives aside, so that, so that in every situation, you can reign supreme. Lord, we do long for justice, but vengeance is yours. Let us be instruments of mercy along the way. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 717 in the United Methodist Hymnal. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you, I encourage you to come forward and share that with our congregation. Uh, The altar is always open if you wish to come spend a few moments up here with God. But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 717, Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory.